Hey everybody, my name is Tom. It is good to be here again at, for Crossroads Digital Worship Service. You know, we each exist, whether we realize it or not, um, in these kind of these systems or groups of people, right? Whether it's our school or our job or our team or even at church. Um, and each of those systems has a way that they get things done, whether it's the trivial, mundane, everyday things or the really big um, important things. For, for example, let's think, let's think about like some, some pretty well-known companies. Some of you may be familiar with the company Zappos, right? Their kind of um, identity statement when it comes to how they get things done is we are a customer service company who happens to sell shoes. Or um, Intuit, the, you know, the QuickBooks and TurboTax people, their thing is do the right thing. Netflix is people over process. Um, the sales team that I was a part of when I was in the corporate world, none of these things were really captured in writing anywhere, but it was definitely work hard, play hard. Uh, the family that I grew up in, uh, my mom, my aunt, my grandmother, it was always, our door is always open. If you didn't have some place to go, you were welcome at our house. And all of those things point to what I would call culture. Culture is the way that a group of people gets things done. And at Crossroads, what I want to try to um, help us understand this morning is that our culture, our idea is to be Jesus-y, right? That might sound um, obvious for a church, but if we are not intentional about it, it won't, it won't happen. And let me, let me explain what I mean. I keep using this term in our cultural moment, right? In our current cultural moment, by that I mean pandemic, coming out of a pandemic, um, almost unprecedented social unrest, a level of division and anger that I haven't seen in my lifetime before. And now listen to this, listen to these numbers. 20%, only, only 20% of people who don't go to church consider local churches trustworthy. Only 20%. That same group of people, only 48% of them consider local pastors trustworthy. The church is not doing a good job at being Jesus-y, right? So as we move forward in our conversation about what's next for Crossroads, we want to talk about our culture and how as a culture we continue to live like Jesus would if he were in our place. That's what I mean when I say Jesus-y. And today we're going to look at a passage in which it kind of comes at the end, towards the end of Jesus's life. And it's a conversation between Jesus and his disciples in which he sets some really defined boundaries for what he wants the culture of the new family of God to be like. Right? So we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 28. Here we go. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, interesting fact about going up to Jerusalem I, this was driving me crazy because I'm like, from where he was, it's not north on a map. That's when I think up to Jerusalem. When you read that in the Bible, it means altitude. They had to walk uphill to get to Jerusalem. Just an interesting side note. Anyway, on the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, which is how he referred to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. This is the third time... Right? This is Jesus saying this. This is the third time that he predicts his own death. And not, he's, 
not shying away from it. He's not trying to hide from it. He's not trying to run from it. He is organizing his people to mobilize towards Jerusalem. He is walking, intentionally walking towards his death. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, right? So what scholars tell us is that the mother of Zebedee's sons is Salome. Salome is Jesus's aunt. That means, and he's talking about the apostles James and John. James and John are Jesus's cousins. Remember that, that's gonna be important later. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked the favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So even after all this time, right, this is, Jesus has just spent three years with these guys and Salome and Mary and the other Mary, there's the group of women that traveled with the disciples and with Jesus. They were all together for the better part of three years and Jesus kept trying to explain to them that his kingdom was not gonna be like an earthly kingdom. It was not going to be established by force and it was not gonna be one of power and they still don't get that. And on top of that, he just finishes telling them that they're on their way to Jerusalem and he's gonna be tortured and murdered. And what it says then, right, the very next thing, then the mother of Zebedee, the very next thing that comes out of their mouth is, hey, can you hook us up? Can you put us in these positions of power? Man, if that does not tell us how insidious the desire for power is. All right, uh, picking it up in verse 22. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus then Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. So in the Old Testament, which is the only Bible they had at this time, cup meant a shared experience, right? It was a symbolic reference to a shared experience, meaning can you suffer and die like I'm going to? It also referred to the wrath of God. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was his absorption of the wrath of God that we deserve, that sinful humanity deserved, and he took upon himself. That's what the phrase drink from my cup means. Um, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So the ten refer to the other disciples. And they were ticked off because James and John went to Jesus with their mom, and they tried to utilize their relationship, the fact that they were cousins, with Jesus to hook them up with these positions. Not only that, but they were also ticked off because they wanted those positions, right? So they weren't, they weren't happy. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, so this idea of, of ransom, it literally means to purchase, and that's what Jesus did. Again, through his life, death, and resurrection, he purchased my freedom. He purchased your freedom from sin and from death. 
these, two, these curses that um, we were born into. And through Jesus' ransom, this gift of ransom, we have the off, offer of redemption, meaning that we, our relationship with Jesus can be restored. It can be made, made new. And the really cool part of this is that we get to participate in this process. Those of us who accept the gift of Jesus, accept that ransom that's offered for us and enter into a relationship with him, we then enter into the redemptive process. I was, um, I was talking to my therapist last week or the week before, and she used this phrase. She's, she used the phrase redemptive behaviors, and it just like stuck in my head. And she didn't go on to define it, but I will define it for us this way. Redemptive behaviors are those actions that either help people move closer to Jesus and or emulate his self-sacrificing love for others. Those are redemptive behaviors, those behaviors that, those actions that move people closer to Jesus or imitate and emulate Jesus' self-sacrificing behavior. And we're going to look at three of those that we see in the text that I think are going to be, not I think, I know are going to be imperative to the culture moving forward at Crossroads because there are, that's what Jesus, that's how Jesus defined the culture of the new family of God. So that's how we should. And the first one is this idea of humble service. When Jesus came on the scene, he brought with him a revolution. He turned upside down the idea of authoritarian, um, authoritarian leadership, right? And he replaced it with this idea of humble service. And we're going to break that and half, and we're gonna look at the two pieces, the what and the how. The first, the what, is service. And I would, as we look at Jesus' life, the service that he commends to us, that he actually commands of us, that he teaches, that he models, is um, the ordinary. He, um, he points out, he does, he models for us the, that which we might consider beneath us, and also those things which other people um, might not wanna do, or quite honestly, we might, not want to do. So for example, look at Jesus's life, the ordinary. He just hung out with people. He invested his time in people. Nothing heroic about that, just spent time with people. Jesus performed certainly for the God of the universe acts and actions that were beneath him. He washed his friend's feet. And ultimately, to do what other people didn't want to do or couldn't do, he died on the cross for you and for me. Right? That's what humble, that's what the service part is. The how, the humble, right? Serving in the new family of God is not about winning a service content contest. It's not about racking up service points. It is about performing selfless acts of love, practical acts of love for others in a way that points people to Jesus. The what is the service, the how is the humble. I want to read to you a story about a man named Dwight L. Moody, famous Bible teacher. Um, it kind of illustrates both, both of these pieces. Dwight L. Moody hosted a large contingent of European pastors at one of his Northfield, Massachusetts Bible conferences. The pastors were housed in a dormitory, and according to European custom, they all placed their shoes outside their rooms overnight, anticipating that a servant boy would collect them, clean them, and shine them before morning except this was Massachusetts and not England. No servant boys appeared, but Moody noticed the shoes. 
He refused to embarrass the pastors for their cultural ignorance or rebuke them for their presumption. Instead, he quietly gathered the shoes, took them to his room, and shined them himself. The next morning, Moody's pastor friends dutifully collected their shine shoes, none the wiser for the humble service Moody had rendered on their behalf. But there's more to the story. Servanthood is contagious. It turns out one of the pastors witnessed what Moody did in secret. The astonished pastor told a few of his friends, and from that night on, a conspiracy of servanthood took charge of one of the shoe-shining detail. Pastors privately took turns shining their colleagues' shoes throughout the remainder of the conference. Humble service is practically demonstrating the self-sacrificing love of Jesus on, the, on behalf of others in a way that reveals Jesus. So the next piece that we see in the culture of the new family of God, the culture that we see Jesus um, correctively pointing out in this text is this idea of healthy correction. So what needed to be corrected? Salome, James, John, they came to him asking for a position which would yield power and prestige, what we might refer to as celebrity status, right? And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You guys still, like, that's not what we're about. We're about service. But the way that he did it is so instructive, right? We have to, we have to take notice of this. In his, in his correction, Jesus reminds them of what he did, that ransom, right? That he came and he gave up, he laid aside his rights and privileges that he had in heaven. He set that aside, lived, died, and rose again so that our relationship might be restored. What does that tell us? That tells us that our relationship, my personal relationship, your personal relationship with Jesus is more important to him than any of our shortcomings, failings, or flaws. Right? Jesus doesn't disregard the problem. He takes care of the problem himself doesn't consider it bigger than our relationship. That is the first and most important part of healthy correction, is that the relationship is established and prioritized. Right From there, Jesus goes on to remind them of who God created them to be. God created them and us to be servants. And lastly, he reminds them of what it is like to act like a servant of God. When he says, you will not, you're not going to be first, you're going to be last. Healthy correction in the new family of God consists of priority on the relationship, consists of a reminder of who God created us to be. It consists of a reminder of what it is like to act like a follower of Jesus. The last piece is the fact that Jesus showed no favoritism. Ben, could you move me to the next slide, please? Thank you. Um, so Jesus' aunt, his cousins, approach him and ask for a favor. And Jesus said, no, you're missing the point. I'm not going to do that. Not because you're my aunt or cousins, not going not gonna to do it. What's really interesting is you look at Jesus' life. He spent more time with James, John, and Peter, one of the other disciples, than he did the other 12, than he did the 72, than he did really with anybody else during those three years that the Gospels capture. But that didn't mean they had privileges and perks. As a matter of fact, I would say that he was more challenging and more corrective and more direct with them than he was with anybody else, right? Jesus did have an inner circle, which we're going to talk more about next time we're together, um, but it, he did not favor them. 
He did not elevate them in any kind of way, shape, or form. And again, as we look at the rest of Jesus' life, he didn't favor the rich. He didn't favor the powerful. Man, the soft spot in Jesus' heart was for the lonely. It was for the brokenhearted. It was for the oppressed. It was for those that society would rather forget that they were there. Jesus, when Jesus was putting his team together, he didn't go to universities and colleges and high society to recruit. He went to the marketplace and he went to the docks and he went to pubs and he went to street corners. That's where he recruited his team from. There is no, there is no person, no position in the new family of God that is so high that they can't, that they're exempt from performing acts of humble service. There is no position within the new family of God that is so high that they're beyond healthy correction. There is no position so low in the new family of God right, that they are disqualified from being served. There's no position within the new family of God that's so low that they can't be the one to bring correction. There is no favoritism in the new family of God. These three things, there are other things, but I think these are three of the big ones that Jesus wanted us to pursue as we go about this process of being Jesus-y. Humble service, healthy correction, and no favoritism. And I want to leave you guys with, um, with a challenge, okay? This week, we're going to concentrate on that humble service piece. I want you to intentionally go out of your way to perform an act of humble service that you normally wouldn't, right? That, so remember what that is. That's the ordinary, like spending time with somebody. That's those things that we might consider beneath us, maybe like the least favorite chore in the house or the least favorite task in the office, whatever, whatever it might be. And then it's also doing those things that other people would rather not or maybe they can't do for themselves. So that's the challenge. You do at least one of those this week. And normally when I issue you a challenge, I tell you, I suggest, I encourage you to share that with somebody, right? Whether it's somebody in your group or a group leader or an elder, one of the other members of the lead team, something like that. But the idea of humble service, right, is to, um, part of that, I think, is to do it anonymously, like Moody did in the, in the story. So here's I still want to provide you with that motivation, that inspiration, that, um, I don't know, accountability. I want you to, once you have completed that act of humble service, I want you to text two words, it's done, to that number on the screen, 203-779-7097, right? And that number, that's, the, that's crossroads text, so that way we can, we can all see what's going, not all see what's going on, that goes to a very limited number of people but we can have that, um, that extra added encouragement and challenge. Sound good? At least one act of humble service that you normally would not perform. Right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the ransom that you offered to us as a gift. Nothing that we can do to earn it. God, thank you that it opens the way to redemption. Thank you that you include us in the process through redemptive behaviors. God, we come before you and we confess those times when we haven't been humble, when we've chosen not to serve. God, we confess when 
we haven't received correction well. Maybe we haven't even given correction well. God, we confess those times when um, we have just let worldly factors come into our decision-making and we've uh, given, shown partiality to one person over another. Lord Jesus, would you forgive us of that stuff? Would you, through your Holy Spirit, guide us and direct us and help us to be more Jesus-y? Help us to be more like you. Help us to live life like you would if you were in our place. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen. Hey, you guys, don't forget, next week is a lean-in Sunday. Just backyard hangouts, hanging out in the park. Please check it out. Just no agenda, just a chance to hang out and get to know some, know some other Crossroads folks a little bit better than maybe you already do. Love you guys. Have a great week.